Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who is back from Nepal and, quite frankly, is still suffering from some jet lag because that's a 30-plus-hour-in-totality 30, 30 trip, right, to get from Franklin, Tennessee, all the way to Bharatnagar, Nepal. Yeah, so wheels up from BNA to wheels down in Kathmandu, 32 hours. Oh my gosh. No, that's late. It's not 32 hours direct on a plane. Right. Yeah, you got is, layovers and. But it's, you know, three hours up front, then it's like 13 hours with a three hour layover, and then I don't remember another six or seven hours. Big chunks. But the bummer is that when you get to Kathmandu, you're not there yet. Like, mm. We did stay overnight at a hotel and then got on a uh, Buddha Air, which is exhilarating. <laughs> I love that it's called Buddha Air. Yeah, well, here, our two choices were Buddha Air and Yeti Airlines. Well, you know which one I'm picking. Well, so I was, by the way, parenthetically, but well, you know, Yeti, that'd be really fun for our Blurry Creatures group chat, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm literally, I'm hovering over the purchase button on a Saturday night. And you know what? I'm... I'm going to give it overnight just to see. Sleep on it. Sleep on it. Wake up on the Sunday morning for, for church, but a news alert top on my phone about a Yeti plane crashing in, no. in uh, Nepal. Seriously? 100% true story. Oh my goodness. Because I was thinking, you know, like, you know, do we go for a fake, you know, a false idol, right? Or a, or a <laughs> mythical creature? Like, well, I go mythical creature all day long, you know? Hopefully, yeah, if those are your options. Yeah, but then I thought, you know, I'm going to rub. Uh, I just figured if someone rubs the belly of the plane, you know, before you take off, that you'll be, you'll be fine. So uh, that's a good Buddha air joke right there. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's a, so it's a 12 hour drive or a 35 minute flight. Okay. Yeah. No brainer. Yeah. You would think, right. But I probably, <laughs> actually I'll say this. It took about another month before I had, like, I had to look Eric in the eye and say, look, bro, here's what we're doing here. Yeah. We are betting our lives against a 12 hour drive. And he and I both have driven for 12 hours in yeah. developing nations. Like, wow. Because the topography isn't necessarily kind. Oh Lord. No. If you, you ever see those videos online where like those trucks are going on these mountain passes and there's no guardrail and yeah. they come up against another truck and they're just inching along and it's that for like 12 hours. No way. Cause it's 12 hours, but it's only like a couple hundred kilometers. Like it's not like it's that far. Yeah. But it's far through the mountains with it. So, so yeah, by the time, you know, we left Barat Nagar, or as we have nicknamed it, butt crack Nagar. <laughs> Don't know if I can say that, well, uh, but we did, uh, and I'll give credit where credit is due. That is Eric Newberry. Okay, let's yeah, let's put that on Eric. Yeah, well, it was really hilarious because, <laughs> I mean, it's literally, uh, it's not a nice place. Challenge. Um, it's hot. It's arid. Uh, the everything is curry. I literally lived on like granola bars, which is not going to kill me, can't, yeah. candidly. 
But I mean, they, they'll put curry in the pancakes. I mean, curry in the coffee. It's like the entire country down there smells like uh, like an Indian restaurant. Yeah. Um, and I'm that'll wrestle my colon to the ground. Dude. Like, Apparently, it did. I heard, w- I heard that it actually did. <laughs> yeah, WWE body slam, man, on my colon. <laughs> like Ric Flair, man, uh, just pile driving <laughs> my colon. So yeah, I just slipped on. Uh, on that. So, but I, I'm, I'm back and, you know, jet lagged out of my ever loving mind. It, it's, I don't know how guys like Benny Prophet do this. Like he's 25 years older than me. Guys that just travel across the world, crisscross yeah. back and forth, you know, a hundred days of the year. They have no idea really where they're going or where they're coming from, but they just, they don't stop. No, and if you, and if you've ever done it before, you know, this to be true. Like you, I, I literally spent an entire day thinking it was Wednesday. <laughs> and it was Monday. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't even kind of close. You know how sometimes you wake right. up and it'll be noon. You're like, oh, I, th- I was thinking it was Tuesday this whole time. No, I was literally, I'm going to bed wondering what's going to happen at youth group tonight, whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> back home. I'm like, somehow I figured out it was Monday. Uh, I'm not even close. Yeah. Which meant I had more time there than I thought I did. And uh, so, but yeah, guys like Benny, like he'll text me like I'm in Scotland and next day I'm like, he's in Thailand and then he's in Dubai. I'm like, Ow. I don't know, man. Very, I feel like that must have been... Well, no, I don't know, because the Apostle Paul didn't have to go through time change. Like, I appreciate the snake bites and the shipwrecks, but he never had to deal with jet lag. And I yeah. think that's important to, to differentiate that our modern-day theology of suffering that Mo taught about on Sunday <laughs> uh, includes jet lag. You know, Eric was talking about how, you know, which is true, by the way, in the olden days, you had to... When you were a missionary, you got on a boat. Yeah. You could have been dead for two years before your family even knew it. Gosh, that's you know? hard to believe. Right? And so, you know, on the one hand, um, that's terrible. On the other hand, they didn't have to deal with jet lag. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, a lot got done over there. We know that much for as, for as difficult it is, you know, the, yeah. the easy places are taken. So we're, we're now going to the hard places and for all of the effort. Um, that it took to get there and back, of course. Yeah. Some amazing kingdom work took place. Yeah. It's in a, in a way it, it mirrors like at least my childhood in that nobody was, nobody was coming to central Nebraska to plant a church. Like nobody had any common sense anyway. Um, so when someone said yes to that, it literally changed my life. And so you know, when we go to places like this, it's, you know, nobody's, it's not on anybody's radar. Yeah. You know, and it's not judging people that are serving in Kathmandu. God's clearly, you know, called people to do that. But he didn't say go almost to the ends of the earth and then invite people to meet you there. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'll meet you at almost at the end of the earth. He said, go to the ends of the earth. And, you know, where we, you know, actually we got to Bratnagar. That was where the hotel was. The site of the location for our gathering was still another hour Oh man! There. So we was that dri- a bus? No, uh, no. It w- was uh, we we'd hired a local Hindu driver um, because Christians can't really can't afford or could not purchase a car. Uh, they're they're with they're not in the economy there on southern Nepal. They're just not allowed to participate. So anyway, we hired this uh, Hindu driver that had to do his little you know Hindu signs every time we go across a river or. a or a temple and go by it. Anyway. Oh, it was, interesting. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was literally the ends of the earth, but man, seeing 2000 Christians that we had, a, we have a family in our church from that 
part of the world. And he said he almost fell out of his chair when he heard that there were 2,000 Christians. It's unheard of. Yeah, I mean, he's like, you, 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 the people don't understand how big of a deal that is that you guys pulled that off and nobody Why is that a big deal? Killed. Because, because it's a communist <clears throat> country, they're not allowed to do these things. They're not allowed to be vocal about the, the fact that they are Christ followers. That is against the law. It is um, technically not against the law to be a Christian there yet. Um, but you know how it is in, in our country, you can be a Christian, but there's there's the legal law and then there's the cultural law. That's right. Yeah. So legal law there, yes, you can be a Christian. Legal law also, though, you cannot print Bibles. Okay. So there is a, a government, kind of like here, where a government is being influenced by the culture, or is the culture influencing the government? Yeah, both. Right. Um, but the cultural norms are so strong there that their two main uh, religions are uh, Islam and Hinduism. And Buddhism, there's, for sure there's a Buddhist showing in Kathmandu, but where we are, it's Muslim and it's Hindu and you're either one or the other. There, as far so far as I can tell, there's no such thing as an atheist in southern Nepal. You're one of those two, and less than, le- like considerably less than one percent of the population would be considered Christian. And they're marginalized, like oh, they're yeah. made difficult. You can't get jobs. Yeah. You're not, you're, you know, disqualified from purchasing land, from property, from you know. There's just things that, uh, if they know you're a Christian. You just don't get to participate in it. The discrimination of Christians there is not only open, it is celebrated and normal there. And so, you know, one of the major fears we had was not of a government intervention. We'd paid all those guys off. It was of the uh, local Hindus, more so than even Muslims, to be honest with you, but the radical Hindus in that area attacking with violence while we were gathered together. So, the, you know, we, we did a couple things that... that we did, we did our best to control that and, and left, the, you know, left the rest to, to the Lord. And I'm happy to report that we gathered over 2,000 Christians for four days and no violence at all. Just a bunch of Christians. That, some of these, most of them, honestly, were the first time in the world where they looked around the room and saw, wow, I'm not alone. There's, there's more than just me and my 10 friends who gather in a basement somewhere or more than you know, just the 10 of us. And we've managed, by the way, I don't know if you know this even, but we, we actually are registered as a legal entity in Nepal because the, their government is restrictive. So we had to pay it off, but we are a legally registered nonprofit in Nepal conduit school, you know, that actually even qualifies me for discounts. It's like an AARP card, you know, I get like cheaper coffee at McDonald's and stuff. If I, you know, if I present my, uh, my nonprofit status. Interesting. There. But it was the only way we could get it done there. Yeah. To, to be able to continue to wire money like we wire, to, to do it, you know, not that we care that it's legal, but it makes it easier. Actually, it makes it possible at this point. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it's a, you put a little small retainer and, and you hoard it as a gift in the, in the That's books. Right. That's right. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that there, there was no violence that, that happened specifically to that, to that meeting, but the, you know, the people definitely on edge, um, thinking that there could be because they were believers, because there was a Christian gathering. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would be remiss to not acknowledge what happened here at home, right? This week here in Nashville, where violence did happen um, to what appears to be a a targeted attack against Christians. 
yeah, it like I, there's no question that this specific school, maybe even the specific people in the school, were targeted for their faith. Um, it it, it uh, and it's funny because watching the corporate media do the gymnastics they've had to do this week to try to. It's like they're saying it without saying it, but, but by basically, um, like they've completely lost the narrative. Like my friend Josh Howerton is a pastor in Dallas, and I saw him tweeting back at NBC News this morning. Like, just, just so you know, like the good guys are the little children that were shot. Like if right. you wonder who the good guys and the bad guys are in this situation, because NBC News is suddenly headlines that the, the trans community is uh, terrified now of violence against them. Unbelievable. Against them. So it's... If they're wondering whether, you know, if you're wondering whether the media thinks that this uh, young woman targeted, the answer is yes, uh, because they're saying that they're afraid of Christians, which is a demonstrably false. Evangelical Christians are not out uh, killing trans Christians. It's just, it's it's not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. Um, But yeah, these young children and their their teachers, many of whom are really, uh, are, uh, Dr. Kuntz, like the, the lady who was the, uh, the, the head of the school, like she's very, she's beloved in our community by many of our friends. I, I never had the privilege of, of meeting her, but you know, um, people in our church that know her personally, um, you know, they're, it was, un, it was senseless, it was uncalled for, it's demonic. And, you know, here we are in a country that where we, it's kind of a strange thought to think because I, I, over the last 20 years, especially I, I was certainly aware of the potential for a radical Islam. You know, most Muslims in our country are not radicalized enough where they would do anything like what we see in Pakistan or Afghanistan. But what's really been interesting is the rise of, um, anti-establishment, uh, hardcore, left-wing, progressive activists in just the last three to five years. Um, Antifa. And, and they're targeting specifically, you know, conservative, but not just conservative, but specifically Christian populations. And so when you and I first saw this, I remember Monday morning, we were looking at it and we're saying, okay, it's a Christian school. The media is already being real weird about this. You know, they're not identifying, you know, uh, they're saying, in fact, the first few, remember the first reports were an active aggressor, mm-hmm. not an active shooter. Yeah. Which was, okay, that's a strange thing to say. Like, what does that even mean? I can't, any other time I've ever heard of any of these things happening, it's always <laughs> active shooter. So I was like, yeah. wait, that's a weird thing to say. And then it was uh, no mention of who the suspect is. A teenager. Yeah, a teenager. In camo. Yeah. It was just very strange. And I remember, I remember thinking, yeah, that morning going, I wonder, who, who is this person that doesn't fit the normal narrative of a, of a progressive corporate media that they can't say the words? Right. And, and, and sure enough. Yeah, the fact that it was a biological female, 28-year-old, by the way, that's seemingly kind of getting lost in some of the descriptions. People yeah. are still kind of believing that it's this young teenage, yeah, yeah. young person that's, um, you know, transitioning to male with its different name. No, this is a 28-year-old female adult. 
Yeah. Um, that, that was, um, changing her name to Aiden and acting out as, as a young man of which, you know, a bunch of reports have been coming out again this week about the effects of testosterone when, um, when these women, when these young women start taking hormone therapy and the, the amount of rage that they're experiencing mm-hmm. with testosterone, um, like large doses. Yeah. Have there been studies done on, so we've, you know, obviously if you're a guy and you've been around for any length of time, you've heard of roid rage. Yeah. You know, um, but I wonder what studies have been, I, I think I already know the answer to this, but we know what it does to a male, but what does it specifically do to, to a female? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in one way, it's like, I've, I've, like you, I've, I've thought about this a lot this week. Um, in the, just the idea of, okay, we know this is evil. No question that this is demonic. But what is it that has made, it's gotten to the point where multiple times on Twitter in the last few months, LGB without the T has been trending multiple times. If you haven't seen that, it's lesbians, uh, gays that are like, okay, this to us, even to us, this is crazy. Like we don't stop hijacking our, you're ruining it for everybody kind of thing. Like, and but the, the point being, is that, is that possible? And, and the, so the hole that I've been digging around in a little bit is we've already seen what, what big pharmaceutical companies can do to destroy a nation in the name of uh, saving lives with Pfizer and vaccines. And, um, and over and over again, we've seen how you know, pharmaceutical companies get their $100 million fine on something and they just pay it as like the cost of doing business. Right. The one thing that is common amongst almost every active shooter situation that has happened in America is uh, antipsychotic medications. Every one of them are on some form of anti, and not just a, 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 an antidepressant, but like straight up like Xanax level of medication. Mm-hmm. And if... And what I'm driving at is the the is this another example of where the 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 big pharmaceutical company, you know, they're chasing profits again. So even in the name of like we're saving lives, we want to give them medical treatment to trans. It's pharmaceutical companies that are funding the news media. They stand to gain the most from this stuff because this is a lifetime commitment to medications for these uh, people that are quote unquote transitioning. So once again, you see a big pharmaceutical company with a profit, you know, gain idea that they could gain money from this, you know, for their pockets, uh, acting like they're doing this in the name of helping, uh, cornering the news media because, you know, we've all seen the videos floating around brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, you know, in in a world where, uh, where online is everything and financially they these news organizations need this money they literally need this money they would not exist without the money coming from big pharmaceutical companies they're looking the other way because of it it's just subconscious and it's just a really weird amalgamation of how society can come from multiple fronts of like yeah 
you know, financial gain, uh, rejecting God, uh, morality, like all of these coalescing into one, one problem that's creating, you know, uh, an entire population of depressed, angry, anxious, you know, and in some senses violent, not, of course, not everybody who's trans is violent. Of course not. That's a, a nonsensical thing to say, but, but there is a lot of anger in that specific community that if you've been online any length of time, you've seen it that doesn't exist in the same way in the lesbian and gay population. There's a lot of emotion around that, but it's not anger and it's not rage. So you may, there may be something to this when it comes to the pharmaceutical. One of the interesting things that I think it's good for us to remember is, um, you know, right and left. Okay. So many times we lump, we do these gross generalizations of just lumping political, right, political left. Right. Right. And there's a massive spectrum. And one of the things I think that we're seeing is that spectrum getting wider and wider. Yeah, that's really true. And there's, so there's a radical right, mm-hmm. like all the way far right radical. 100%, yep. Nazism. Oh, probably all the way on the far right. Right. To the, all the way to the far left, which is what I think we're starting to experience here now is this radical left who feels like they need to take action towards those that would even associate with any part of the spectrum on the quote unquote right, Mm -hmm. regardless of how far right or how centrist they may be. Yeah. And maybe there's something splintered. Yeah. Yeah. There's something when you get to the violent part, when you, so I know, look, we all know lots of people, especially guys taking testosterone as a, a supplement uh, and they've not killed anybody. So that doesn't, that, that in and of itself doesn't explain it. And, it, and in a way it's, it's, a, it's like a fool's errand to try to explain it because how do you explain evil? Oh, how, how? You know, other than it's darkness of the, the prince of the power of the air, that there, there's, there is good, there is evil in, in the world. But it's not so much the the roid rage, right? Other than it's like the ideology, which is anti-God. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, it's just anti-society, anti-God, anti, you know, I've said this before, but it's worth, I guess it's worth repeating that uh, Ezekiel 28, 18, uh, 17, somewhere, it, it speaks of uh, Satan. It's a... And there's a, there's a blurry moment in that whole thing because it's the king of Tyre, but it's also, so it's clearly talking about the king of Tyre, but it's also talking about Satan in the garden and the idea how in the spirit and the natural, there are two realms that are happening. And so, but it talks about that uh, his original sin was, um, was you, you became proud in it. So pride was the original sin of Satan, but it also says in Isaiah speaking, uh, again, of another king, it speaks of Satan talking about, I, I, will, I will arise, I will be alike, I will be equal with the Most High. So the original sins of Satan were equality and pride. That happened before, uh, before humans were even on the earth. Equality and pride. And so 
equality with each other, you know, equal uh, opportunities. Those are all things I think we all would say any good human wants. Uh, I want the same opportunity. That's, that's why I'm in Nepal getting... Jesus wants that. We're building schools there so that a Christian has an opportunity to get an education that is equal to, you know. So we give them an equal opportunity there. But this isn't just equality with each other. This is equality with God. So to say that I was born in the wrong body is literally a rage against God himself that I know better than God who who I am inside. Yeah. I want not equality with Darren and Mo. I want equality with God. Um, I want it so out, out of pride who I am. I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when pride was still a sin and not just a month that we celebrate on the calendar. Like, we're in a culture that celebrates a sin, not, not the sin of sexuality, but the sin of being proud of your sexual, <laughs> you know, your sexual. So pride and equality, yeah. um, we're, we're present before the garden. Uh, and of course, Adam and Eve, you're, God's holding out on you. It was the, the temptation of Satan. And what he's really saying is, uh, you know better than God. You, 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 you know, he's holding out on you. You want to be, you want to be equal with God. You want to be, and by the way, Adam was already created in his image. So, but the idea that I want to be not his image, but his equal is the sin in the garden. I'm going to decide what is, it's the, the, the that's why it's called the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's right. Because now we get to decide what is good and evil and not God. So it's literally the antithesis. It's anti. It's in place of Christ, right? Antichrist. And John said, First John, uh, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. Uh, that was two thousand years ago, and that spirit is raging right now in our culture. Um, and sadly, what happened Monday in Nashville. There's real consequences to that. They're, they're, these are real people with real, those are, those are real nine-year-old little children. Like, it's just mm. demonic for, by the way, a female to, because there's something about the maternal nature. That's why when a, if a young person loses their mom or their mom rejects them and, and leaves it, the consequences are actually worse when the mom does it than when the father does it because it's so unnatural for a female. It's unnatural for anybody, by the way, completely unnatural, but for a female, the maternal instinct in a, in a mom, um, it damages the psyche of a child. And so for a, a female to walk in and shoot point blank range, little children. Yeah. I believe I read this was the first female quote unquote mass shooting, um, in almost 45 years. Like it's, it's, it's very extremely uncommon. Bizarre. And it's bizarre because again, by the way, there are differences between males and females. That's right. You know, I mean, there's biologically speaking, emotionally speaking, you know, violence. I mean, Jordan Peterson has done an enormous uh, amount of work around the difference between males and females. And, and that's one of the things is that men, like we settle things Mm -hmm. differently than females. You know, now women can be very, very verbally violent, and there obviously there's examples of physical violence from females. But, but when you put it on the chart and you look at the numbers as a whole, males are very much on that. But I, but I say that, and then you're looking at what's happening right now. When you think about, you know, the, uh, what's happening in Europe and the, these trans activists that are like protesting by throwing soup on paintings. First of all, what in the heck 
Is that a proof? It doesn't do it. You're not proving anything. But those are all females doing that stuff that are like out there raging right now. There, there's a, it's a new thing. And maybe there's something to that testosterone thing, the chemical. <laughs> yeah. Something has changed for yeah, sure. For sure. One of the other things that changed um, over this past generation is was documented in the Wall Street Journal this week mm. with a new article um, that that is titled "America Pulls Back from Values That Once Defined It," and it was a new poll, basically documenting documenting the decline of American values over the past twenty five years since nineteen ninety eight, and some of these stats are. I don't know if they're shocking anymore. I mean, I think we've all known we've been on a on a slippery slope on many of these topics. It's shocking when you see it yeah. in a graphic, though. I right? think I think that's what it is when it's visualized. <laughs> yeah, someone went and he, he he mowed it right. He put it uh he put it on a chart and a spreadsheet. And then, <laughs> oh man, I made my scalp tingle when right? I saw this. It's like, oh, this is good data. Such good data, and and it's good data because it's in, it's informing us and. Um, Confirming our suspicions, you know, just as a whole, um, the, the, the five main categories are, are basically they ask those things that are very important to them, Americans, the percentage who say that these values are very important to them and the five values that they selected were, were patriotism, religion, patriotism, religion, having children, community involvement, and money. Interestingly enough, or maybe predictably enough, money is an is is the only one on the chart that saw an increase. Where folks said that this value was very important to them over the past twenty five years, that increased as a value. Yeah, money, wealth. And if you see the visual on this, I don't know if there's a way we could attach a graphic into our <laughs> podcast or not. You know, just Google it. It's, 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 it's readily available. And I'm, honestly, yeah. our listeners are well-informed, so I'm thinking they probably have already seen this. But when you look at this, the visual of four of these categories, the arrow is not just down oh, it's... and to the right. It is a plummeting. And then the last one being money, and it's the only one that is up and to the right in the last 20 yeah. years. Is it yeah. 20 years? 25 1998, which was the year I graduated high school, by the way. So makes me sad. <laughs> so it was, it's interesting, just from that perspective, even for myself to say, okay, so since 1998, since I graduated high school, I can see these things playing out. Patriotism, I think, is one of the largest declines on this. Relig- yeah, because it was 70 percent. 70 percent of the yeah. people surveyed in 1998 said patriotism is important to me. Now it's 38. Yeah. Was 70%, seven out of 10 Americans held a patriotic view. Yeah. I mean, it literally dropped in half, almost half, like in 25 years, statistically margin of error in half. That's right. In 25 years. That's right. In religion, not far behind it from roughly was that 62%. Yeah. 62%. Um, and it has dropped, you know, well below 40%. In 25 years. And then having children, which is, man. It dropped in half as well. Yeah. Super scary. And honestly, I was surprised that it was that, to be honest, I was, was, I'm surprised in 1998 it was as low as 60%. Mm. To be honest, I thought, I remember higher. I don't know. I just didn't. Maybe I wasn't, I don't know. I just, I wasn't thinking about it all, I guess. And I just, you get married, you have, you have children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And then interestingly, uh, I, I mean, can, the community involvement one is intriguing to me. Well, if you see it on the chart, it's there's a clear, a clear demarcation of COVID. So if you look at it, oh, okay, 2020, it falls off a cliff. Like if it if it's not a, a right angle, it's almost a right angle, <laughs> straight down, which happens right around uh, on the timeline here of around 2019, 2020, which is when we were forced in many places. Um, at least culturally and ideologically, to isolate community involvement completely. Because yeah, if you look at, so in 1998, it was 47% of the people surveyed said that it was important. Mm-hmm. And which kind of resonates because I think, depending on how you define community, many Christians, I, 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 can, I can say for myself and many of the people I was surrounded by, we were actively involved in our church community. So if they're not defining church community in that, then I could see why that would be such a low number, even though the churches are generally speaking actively involved in the community when it comes to food banks. And, but, right. but because we're involved in it from the church level, I can see why that wouldn't be. But then it's up, like then it jumps up to 62%. Yeah, it trends up over the past 20 years. And then plummets. And plummets. But I guess what's intriguing to me about that, and I, I don't, Love to dig into this at some point, but it, it, we saw in our community, specifically Williamson County, Franklin. Um, I don't know if it's so much in Murray County, but I think it might be that. I, like for you or me, like, did you ever think about, man, I should be involved in the school board, or I should be involved in, in you know, prior in, to COVID? COVID, yeah, prior to COVID, I just thought that stuff was handled, right? <laughs> just it's handled. Somebody's handling yeah, somebody's it. somebody's doing it, you know, and they're, they're probably like people like you and me. But but if you uh, if you view God as the ultimate ethic of the the universe and the and the church as the solution to the problems of the world, then you are actively engaged in your church. And if you don't believe that, then the only other option is your big institution, and you see you're actively involved, which is how we can have in the most, I'll bet it's the most conservative-leaning county in, you know, at least in the South, for yeah. sure, Tennessee, it feels like. Yeah. With nine out of our 12 school board members having a, you know, somewhat progressive agenda on on the list. And, and the same with Franklin City Council, like the... They're they're good people, but they're not thinking like we're thinking. They're, these are not. Uh, they might self, which is where you get you know, religion being important. And most of those would would have identified as a Christian, and so I would have not even questioned it. But then when you look at their voting record, like, oh, that's clearly not a Christ. You know, so, so I, I'm just wondering where that when that plummet, um, because what I'm and maybe you know what I don't know when this poll was taken. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, well, no, it was conducted March 1 through 13th, 2023. So, yeah, last month. Because I would tell you right now, the community involvement for me, uh, in 1998, I would have said, nah. Sure. And I'm telling, like, right now, I'm 100%. Like, yeah. We need to be involved. We need we need Jesus people in these places making, you know, Christian, if, if you know, is that political or is it just saying, you know what, if I got to decide, if I want somebody in there making decisions, I want somebody who is going to vote in the way that, you know, that I'm, believe is important with with christian values that's 100 percent important to me so i don't know i mean that's the thing i want to dig into that what they mean by community involvement well it's i think it's just telling overall kind of where we are as a country right so 
these these values and i guess that's another it's another dive like how are they defining values what does that mean what is this what does the secular world define as a value right what is the those in the, with a christian understanding and mindset define as a value yeah um and how do those align and how do those differ I still lean back towards what Yuri Bezmenov said. Oh yeah, forty-five years ago in an interview, and and we've talked about old Yuri Bezmenov many times. Um, but man, <laughs> every month that passes is like, oh my gosh, he was so right. Yeah, and he, if, you, if you don't know, we'll Google him. Um, and Google, yeah. but a former KGB agent. KGB defector and who um, essentially predicted what modern America would look like today um, with his with his understanding, with the Russian understanding and China, by the way, both have uh, kind of the, the art of war mm-hmm. with ideological subversion. Yeah. And ideological subversion is a is a tactic that starts to institute progressive ideology at the baseline level. Yeah through universities, through um, think tanks that carries from generation to generation. And over the course of 40 years, you have a splintered, fractured society that doesn't really beholden itself to much of anything other than your own truth. Yeah. And here we are. And these are things he was talking about 45 years ago. And what he was saying was that this was a very strategic long game long game goal of misinformation actual mm-hmm. misinformation as a tactic of war destabilize a country yeah so they're so fractured so weak in their own ideologies that that uh, it weakens their actual military yeah it weakens them culturally so they're basically infighting to the point where if another country wanted to attack, that they would be very successful. Yeah. And the irony of all ironies, right, was that for a few years, the storyline was of Russian collusion with President Trump. And <laughs> it was literally hammered as if it were fact by and, and, and was ultimately proven to be demonstrably false. But the irony of it was that knowingly or unknowingly, corporate media was colluding with Russia about Trump colluding with Russia mm-hmm. because that was part of the idea. They're ideological. There was a collusion with Russia. There was a, a, a an ideological warfare happening. It just wasn't the one that they were trumpeting, which makes it, I mean, when you think about Satan and the strategies, it's kind of brilliant mm. to... Strategic author of confusion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow. You've, I mean, he's had, a, he's had a few years to practice, but... There's four stages of ideological subversion, and I believe this has played out almost perfectly to the playbook over the past 40 years. It starts with subversion itself. I mean, that's when they start to insert these ideological ideological ideas with professors, with uh, elder statesmen, young, um, um, progressive thinking back in the late 70s. So it starts with actual subversion of these ideas. Then there's a destabilization where everybody's questioning everything, essentially. 
then there's a crisis, a major crisis. We've had a couple of those over mm-hmm. the past decade. And then you enter into um, a stage of normalization, which I believe is where we've entered into, where the just the um, the conversation of of all of all of these things that are happening, anybody can ask a question, anyone can have their own truth, anyone can can be anything at any time. Um, seeing these events play out on a regular basis. It becomes normalized. The, the, the progressive left, even of, you know, the, the drag in a library being okay. Normalized. Yeah. Normalized. Celebrated. Yeah. There's a piece uh, we, we talked about right before we started recording in, in the New York Times this morning. And the, the, the title is How the Right Turned Radical and the Left Became Depressed. And this is the New York Times, who doesn't even pretend to be neutral anymore. The the, the record of of uh, the paper of record is is not. But it was interesting to listen to this guy, who's not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination, basically define the problem that we're talking about from a left ideology, you know, ideology. Um, but but at the same, like acknowledging that this is actually not working for us very well. He actually says uh, one of the. He actually cites this Wall Street Journal research, um, and talks about that basically conservatives are, and I don't know if it's somewhere in this research where you just. But if you, if you are a conservative, and, and you know, for the most part, that would be uh, almost every evangelical Christian would find themselves somewhere in a conservative. But point being that they are uh, on any chart, any research are actually happier and more content than the hardcore progressives who are again demonstrably he's talking about like progressive females that are uh, almost 50 percent of them have a a diagnosed mental health uh males uh, as opposed to female conservatives which is like 20 percent. like it's very it's less than half of that um vast difference vast difference in it but he says the, the problem for liberals is different he says an organizing premise of progressivism for generations has been that the toxic side of conservative values is responsible for much of what ails society, which is what we're seeing, right? A cruel nationalism throttling a healthy patriotism, fundamentalist bigotry overshadowing the enlightened forms of religion, patriarchy, and misogyny poisoning the nuclear family. Thus, in many ways, the transformations of the last few decades are ones that the liberals actually wanted. The America of today is more socially liberal on almost every issue than the America of George W. Bush 25 years ago, right? Yeah. It's more secular, it's less heteronormative, more diverse in terms of both race and personal identity, more influenced by radical ideas that once belonged to the fringe of academia. And he's basically saying, so why the heck are we so depressed if we're liberals? Like, this is what we wanted. Yeah, you got what you wanted and you're not happy about it. And we're depressed and killing ourselves over it. Um, so unfortunately, in finding its heart, Hart's desire, the left, also seems to have found a certain kind of despair. It turns out that there isn't some obvious ground for purpose and solidarity and ultimate meaning once you've deconstructed all the sources you considered tainted. Basically, we burned the whole thing down and now we're sad because we don't have anywhere to live. Wow. And it's at the vanguard of that deconstruction among the very liberal young that you find great unhappiness, the very success of the progressive project devouring contentment and use the word cannibalism. (laughs) 
Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. It's why I've been listening to, um, I don't know that I recommend this or not. So, uh, Megan Roper Phelps was part of a Westboro Baptist church. They're the church that protested everything of military funerals. And I use the word church extraordinarily loosely. There are 35 people in this church and most of them are related to each other. Uh, Megan actually through Twitter becomes an atheist, leaves the church, leaves her family. And, t- and actually turns out to be really, really, really brilliant. Uh, she's the one that uh, called me a lying whore, false prophet on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. I put it in my Twitter handle for a little bit. Darren Tyler, lying whore, false prophet. Um, but it was about 10 years ago. Anyway, she's got a podcast uh, through Barry Weiss's free, pre- uh, free press media interviewing Rowling, JKK Rowling. Yeah. Um, who is by, by all in, intents and definitions, a progressive liberal atheist, uh, I agnostic, I don't know where she would come in the faith. i for sure. It's not Christian uh, who has been, I mean, so in the nineties, her books were being burned by, this is why it was such a fascinating podcast in the nineties. Christians were burning her books. Uh, John Hagee <laughs> preaching against it. Right. But now she's in a place where hardcore progressives are burning her books. So interesting. And, and it's from the trans statements that she has made of that a woman is a woman and, you know, in her words, a good liberal, which is really a fascinating dilemma, right? Is that she, this is what we wanted was women's rights and liberals. And so now the, 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 the logical conclusion of having no logical conclusion is you end up with madness. Um, and I'm, I think I'm in episode six right now of it. Oh, it's a series. It's a series. And I don't know if it's more fascinating. It's fascinating to me to listen to people with, so they, the, the big problem right now is if you have no God, you have no common values to come around with it. They're literally throwing darts in the dark, trying yeah. to figure out how is it possible that this completely maddening, illogical decisions, uh, she's, she's literally had to have security. She's had to, and half the time she's apologizing for her, for her quote unquote privilege. And I recognize that I have this privilege <laughs> um, because in her own heart, she's like, she's, she's angsting over this thing that the, the very, you know, uh, the very movement that she wanted to establish, which was women's rights and, and uh, independence and all, uh, she's got it now. And they're trying to, they're cannibalizing it. They're burning her down. Um, I'm surprised. I, I follow uh, Megan Phelps on Twitter, and I'm surprised she hasn't been torched yet, and I, maybe it's coming. Um, but uh, the, the point being that what you said about cannibal, the, the, the very success of the progressive project devouring contentment, they can't be happy until they get exactly what they want. And, um, and so the, the inside of that spectrum that you described earlier is yeah. two sides that are actually pretty far left. One is a little bit further left is they're not just coming for us. They're coming for anyone that doesn't which is also known as um, fascism. And it really comes down to ultimately just it's pride. Yeah. Like this deep sense of being godlike, um, being able to make any and all decisions to force others <laughs> to believe like they do, um, to have no, to no, no error in their thinking. Um, to uh, force you to believe and to align with what they believe in their community and or else. Um, it's this, it's just 
so prideful. It's just this deep root. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the psalm, why do the heathen rage, right? And imagine a vain thing. Um, it's like we're literally seeing it that in, the, in pride, right? The pride of um, I'm, I'm, I'm special, I'm beautiful, I'm, you know, I'm stardust or whatever, not, you know, nutty stuff that, that they're saying. Uh, in, in their pride, they want equality. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's what we all want. But the major difference between where a Christian is, is that, you know, the very faith that we believe in actually acknowledges that I'm not any of those things. Yeah. That, that I didn't need a good teacher. I needed a savior. I don't need a, a, a you know, a, a good example. I need a savior is a very, is the very thing is an acknowledgement of that. Um, I need that. And on the other hand, if you don't need it, there's a pride in that because I'll be my own savior. I will not have you be Lord over me. I want to be equal with you, God. Yeah, one of the things that we we learned on Sunday and had the opportunity to teach through John. Yeah, chapter by the way, 11. good job. We're almost at the end of this thing. We haven't even <laughs> talked about that. Well, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, was just this understanding of of God's glory. Um, John chapter one. I'm sorry, John chapter eleven, verses one through sixteen. Starting in verse four, he really starts to talk about his glory and how exclusive his glory is. He's not sharing that. Right. Um, and humanity has, has got that upside down, right? They want the glory in every yeah. way possible. Um, and glory, God's glory is exclusive. He says, I will not give it to another. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, huh. when you think of glory, it's such a, it's a word that we're used to, right? The, the, in the Christianese of, you know, glory to God, we sing glory to God. Um, the, the Hebrew word for glory, kavod, it speaks of like weight, of heft. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way, it speaks of like purpose and meaning. Like he, he is the purpose, the meaning of the universe. Like the supreme ethic of the universe is God. And so when it glorifies him, it's basically an acknowledgement that he is the supreme weight and yeah. the heft of the universe and uh and he doesn't share that with us can't totally right but the cool thing about christianity and the faith in jesus is that we're going to get there in john uh, 15 uh as i have as you've glorified me now glorify them um and it it speaks to uh, what they, what this this liberal guy is saying? We're seeking purpose and meaning in a world that doesn't have any purpose and meaning. But it, the weight of, of of who we are, value is not found inside of us, but found outside of us. And so, the glory the the, the glory that you have glorified me with now glorify them is we now have because we've we've seen we've uh, we're awake we've rec- we believed on him, and now that glory. His glory resides in us, not our glory residing in him. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And it's a reminder that, man, our faith, our, it requires us, it requires humility. That's the irony. It requires humility in order for us to share in that glory with him. Um, and humility, biblical humility, is simply believing the truth about yourself. That's right. <laughs> So we are not gods. We're just not God. Yeah. The sooner you come to that, yeah. the happier you'll be. <laughs> You may not like it, but it's true. Our faith is a humble patience that submits our hearts to the will of the Father. 
Yeah, that was that was good. And man, that's a hard lesson. That's a hard <laughs> lesson to learn. Humble patience. Whew, man, it's like it's a lifetime. It feels like a lifetime of learning. Yeah, a, a humble patience. I mean, you've, so you've got uh, a grandbaby. Man, it's awesome. Dude, does he started shaving yet? I saw him. <laughs> he looks like a little man now. He's like, I mean, he's, he's still a baby. Man child. He's, he's like five months old, but he's man, got he's, good cheekbones. He's he's junky. Man. Yeah, he's a he's a little man child. <laughs> but you know, we learned pretty early that uh, that the will of the the will of a baby. You, you talked about this a little bit. It's not the will of the daddy. <laughs> he's not submitting yeah. his heart to the will of his father. Right. <laughs> He's doing what he wants to do. And yeah. it's like innate in us, right? Like 100%. We're born that way. I, we, nobody taught him that. Yeah. He 100% wants his way. And, and we think about it, like when you're watching him, like negotiate, you don't negotiate with two-year-olds or six-month-olds or, you know, it's like negotiating with terrorists. Like, you know, you just, we don't negotiate. You could explain it until he's blue in the face and he won't get it because he's not. And, and so think about them, the mind of God which is so infinite, so beyond that on my smartest day, which you're getting not as smart as I used to think I was, uh, my smartest day, I am still a baby compared to the mind of God. Yeah. And so uh, you can either scream and holler about it or you can rest in the fact that my father actually has my best intentions in mind. You know, we've, uh, my brother-in-law has been living with us for a few months while he's getting settled into Nashville living and he's got a, uh, almost five-year-old son and, you know, he's five. So he, he knows a lot about life, but on the other hand, there are times where, no, you know what? I know that you like Oreos, but we're not doing that for breakfast. Now I I could explain that all day long to him. What a buzzkill. Oh yeah. What a grump. He's mean old Darren. Oreos are great. I want them all day, right? You know, why would you not allow me to have Oreos all day long? Right, right. right. And I, at some point, you just go like, look, bro, I just, you got to have to trust me on this. This is not going to be, <laughs> you're not going to, uh, and it is, I'm reminded of that watching Sean interact with him. Uh, he's a good kid. He loves his daddy. And, and sometimes he just gets really ticked about something. And the logical explanation will never do. And so when we come across things in scripture, well, look, when we come across things in life, yeah. It was part of it was the whole idea of theology of suffering. Like, right. But what we saw this week, I would love to know why that happened. And as of now, my baby brain, you know, if I, if I trust that God is good and you go always, 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 always go back to the cross where well, the gospel is so important crucified, buried, resurrected. Like, he became one of one of us he's good so whatever the reason is it's not because he's not good uh and that's where humble patience right that's faith comes from i'm going to trust that 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 god even if i don't understand it i can trust that he's good because of the cross and he loves me whether i'm kicking and screaming or he loves me if i'm sleeping peacefully and trusting him he loves me either way it's just my decision of how miserable I'm going to be in this life based on how much I want to kick and scream about it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things we kind of talked through briefly was the testing of our faith is not a denial of his love. Like, yeah. It doesn't mean he's ignoring us. It's he's working something out much greater, much bigger, and that ultimately it's an expression of his glory. 
And that is, um, again, just, uh, it's a lifetime lesson for us to continue to calibrate our hearts to trust in process, trust in the father that he's working all things out for his glory. And our good. Our good. Yeah. And that's the thing. His glory and my good are not mutually exclusive <laughs> ideas. Right. <laughs> uh, my good is his glory. Right. And again, I, I'm a baby. There are things that, you know, when they, when the baby's first born, you know, they, I mean, I, I, I've been on the business end of four of these things coming into the world. And <laughs> I remember the first time, uh, first of all, thinking, wow, that's a lot of stuff coming out. But they, uh, the next thing I notice is they pull out, you know, Maddie and they're like flopping her around like a carp in a fish market, you know, just flopping her and putting her on him like, you know, and on all, you know, if you're where she's at, she's just thinking, look, I was minding my own business in a warm. sack of warm amniotic fluid, yeah. completely content sleep. And now you're slapping my back. You're flipping me over. You're poking me with sharp things. Like, it didn't, there's no way that any of that would make any sense to a child other than it's part of the process of becoming alive. And when it speaks of all of creation is groaning as if in childbirth, that's, it's, look, I have no memory of being in the birth canal of my mother and I'm pretty okay with that. You know, I'm definitely uh, specifically okay with that. But that's, a, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of squeezing, a lot of, you know, like you spend a little, some time in there, you come out with a cone head, right? You know, cause it didn't fit. And, but you, there's no way any of that makes sense. But if we're groaning as creation right now, we're literally coming through this birth canal of life, not of death. So yeah. the pain, the suffering, the crushing, the squeezing, the pressure that, you know, the weight, that doesn't seem to make any sense. All I know is that God is good. And Paul said in Corinthians that, one day I will fully know as I am fully known. One yeah. day it'll all make sense. One day it'll be, oh, that's the whole thing. And until then, I'm in the birth canal. Fun fact, I was in the birth canal once and uh, <laughs> came, out, came out of Conehead. Did you know that? No. Yeah, for like two weeks, my mom tells me. All this talk of birth, like tomorrow's my birthday. It's birthday eve. And I'm... I'm I'm curious to know what you were doing the the month of my birth. Like, where were you in the world? I, March of 80. I was nine years old. Okay. Just just picture, picturing, imagining nine-year-old Darren running around is... is uh, and, and, and so imagine... Satisfying. Imagine stand by me. <laughs> we had... Uh, uh. We, we, we had, there was a group of four of us, man. We'd run around the railroad tracks. I, I, I get, I don't know. I get Goonies vibes when I think of Darren. Like, have you seen the movie Goonies? Yeah, that's actually pretty accurate. Uh, that's yeah, really just accurate. getting into mischief and yeah. running around your bikes and. A hundred percent. That was it. We would, we, we literally, I think back on it. My, my parents were crazy. We'd get on our little dirt bikes, BMX, like, but cheap like Walmart ones. Cause we couldn't afford real bikes. But yeah, we'd ride our bikes two, three miles into the country on like on roads, like country roads, like with farm trucks going up and down them and get, you know, we were hopping trains on the, I mean, 10 years old, we're hopping trains, man, going through our town. So we were already living a lot of life by then. We did, we never found anybody murdered, by the way. Was that Darren, Goonies or that was Stand By Me was the murdered? Darren, Darren nine-year-old, I, I was obviously born um, 
in Ohio. It was snow. It was apparently a blizzard the year I was born. Yeah, because it's March in Ohio. March 30th in Ohio, and they're still getting a ton of snow. Not currently in 1980. Yeah. But the, every tour we've ever done, I would avoid Ohio like the plague <laughs> in anything. March. Because if you're ever yeah. going to get a canceled show, it's going to be in Ohio in March with a blizzard. North of the Ohio River, you got to yeah. watch out. So was it like a city hospital in downtown Dayton? Oh, no. No, no, no. Out in the sticks, man. That, the, it's so far out in the sticks of, of Dayton that that hospital is no longer. It is oh, been away. bulldozed. So yeah, farm country, like rural America. Did they do epidurals back then? I mean, I don't know. It's I think they question. did it Civil War style. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Here's some vodka and Sorry, a, mom, and bite your knife. Listening. Sorry. No idea. <laughs> yeah, we need to be celebrating your mom after yeah, she right, all right. that. You. Well, this week we are heading into Palm Sunday, which means Easter's two weeks away. It's hard to believe. I mean, this is coming. This year is flying by. Bonkers. And we are continuing in our Believe series. Obviously, we started Chapter 11 this past Sunday with the Lazarus story. And I love how this has timed up, how the Lazarus story um, of his resurrection times up with our Easter celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, I mean, this is, if I'm, if I'm getting my timeline right, is the last miracle that Jesus performs before he rides into Jerusalem on, uh, on a donkey. Yeah. Uh, is raising Lazarus from the dead. And... You know, when you're doing Bible drills, one of the best Bible verses to memorize is the, I think it's verse 35, and Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, Jesus wept. Um, And I'm actually going to talk about that. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of conjecture as to why he, why he wept. Yeah. Was it because he was sad, you know, that uh, the family was sad? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in like 10 minutes. He knows what he's going to do. He knew what he was going to do two days before that. So there's a lot of conjecture. A lot of people say it's because he joined them in their sorrow. Yeah, probably, maybe, you know, some of that. Mm-hmm. But I have an idea. Anyway, I'll share it on Sunday, what I think good. the real reason why Jesus wept. If you're planning to join us for Easter Sunday, let us know if you haven't already. Yes. Go ahead and RSVP via the Church Center app or on our website. We have five services to choose from this year. It's going to be a full weekend, including a Saturday evening service. And by the way, those services, we could actually, you know, you can actually invite somebody this time. You don't have to feel any guilt or shame to invite a friend to church now. Plenty of room. People were feeling guilty before. Like, I don't feel bad inviting people because the parking lot. Yeah. Well, with five services, we're going to have it covered, including um, we are streaming it at the the, the 10 a.m. service will be live streamed as well so we are really looking forward to the, the weekend coming up just celebrating um just the the pinnacle of our faith the super bowl of sundays and uh, if you get a chance to join us please do and if you get a chance to join us beforehand maybe this week let us know come say hi if you have any prayer requests we always want to kind of mention this too yeah yeah let's if go. you have any prayer requests go ahead and email prayer at conduitchurch.com we send it out to an incredible prayer team that is always ready and willing to pray over you and for you. If you have um, anything that you want to want to talk about, have any questions um, about this podcast, email also info at conduitchurch.com. Hope you can join us next week. <laughs>